Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to a very special edition of the Steam Cleaners podcast. I am, of course, your host, but I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Walter Fetchuk. Walter, how are you doing, buddy? I am very tired. I have put a lot of hours into the game I'm talking about today to get it done so I could talk about it today. So I am tired. Uh, your sacrifice is both noted and appreciated, my friend. But this is a special episode, Walter, not just because uh, you and I, to a lesser extent, both broke our sleep schedules to make this episode happen on time. It is special because we are joined by our first guest in Steam Cleaners history, uh, Eduardo Stukrath. How you doing, buddy? Hey, hello, everyone. I'm doing fine. How are you guys doing? It's, it's good. I hope the audience responded to you back at home. Um, Give me a rah rah at home. A time. <laughs> yeah, so, we, we needed to add a shot of espresso to that episode today, it sounded like. So I'm, I'm very glad that Eduardo agreed to, to hop on and, and talk some video games with no, us. No, today we're talking about two very good video games. So I'm excited as fuck to. Can I say that? Uh, to be joining you guys, if you guys get flipped after is, the episode, it's fine. This, We're going to have a fun This time. is not a podcast where we uh, we worry about that kind of thing. Uh, we, when we get big enough that people give a shit, we'll start worrying about it. But for now, uh, speak from the heart, my friend. And, and you are, of course, here because this is going to be the end of our three-episode uh, conversation on the Danganronpa trilogy. But... We're not just here to talk about Danganronpa V3, a game that you and I have very different feelings about. We're also here to talk about a new game from Walter, because we talk about new games every week on Steam Cleaners. Walter, last week you talked about Frostpunk, a brutally difficult survival city builder. Uh, what do you have in store for us this week? Well, see, I don't know if it's a new game because I've mentioned it, I think, on every single episode of the podcast thus far. <laughs> but uh, I finally, I finally, I finally beat the storylines and DLC content of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, a game which I probably played between 10 to 12 hours in the last 36 hours from when we're recording because I wanted to get it finished for this. Uh, but have played a grand total of 137 hours of since August, uh, making this probably the the longest amount of the most amount of time that I have spent with a single person experience, uh, probably ever. Um, unless like we're gonna say, hey, all the Madden games combined are one single person experience. Uh, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't count it like that. Um, outside of like League of Legends or like 2K basketball games, um, because I only buy the like 2K NBA games, I buy the new one like every like three or four years. Because other than that, it's just roster changes, and then there's no real you know differences in the engine or anything, uh, you know, year to year. Uh, but yeah, this was a game that I had purchased when it was on sale back in June of last year, and when I moved into my new apartment in August, I basically had said to myself. This is the game that I really want to sit down with in my free time and play. I love Assassin's Creed games. I, I think that um, Assassin's Creed 1 was one of the first um, like M-rated video games that I, other than like Call of Duty, but that I ever gone out and, pur and purchased for myself and hid from my parents and like played through and had a lot of fun and 
Black uh, uh, Assassin's Creed, Black Flag, and Rogue are two of my favorite video games of all time um, because of the like the pirate mechanics and then building upon Black Flag with Rogue and pulling what I think is like a pretty pretty nice you know change of expectations by having you play a character that's a Templar as opposed to an assassin. Um, if you're getting confused about words that are coming out of my mouth now. I'm sorry, Assassin's Creed is a very confusing series and none of it's going to make sense. Um, yeah, I, so I will say I stopped playing after Brotherhood because I simply, I, I didn't have, uh, Re, uh, was it Revolution? What was the, the, the last of the Ezio trilogy? Uh, yes, you're talking about uh, Revelations. Revelations. I heard Revelations was decidedly okay. Um, and after that, I just didn't have a console. And so I missed Black Flag entirely. It feels like it's an entirely different series from the one that I would remember, right? We're, we're in a very different league of Assassin's Creed games for, for those of us who maybe haven't kept up for a bit. Yeah, so Assassin's Creed is kind of broken down into like five different uh chunks five different like chapters of the series obviously there's the very first one assassin's creed which is you know takes place in uh in the middle east and then you have the the Ezio trilogy which is two brotherhood and revelations and i think part of the problem with revelations is its trilogy syndrome it's that the first one is pretty good the second one builds upon the first one and adds new things and then the third one is like you have to add more content onto it and it starts to get bloated and no one really wanted to say goodbye to Ezio. Ezio is, you know, I, I, whatever IGN or, uh, or PC gamer or whatever does like favorite characters of all time. Like Ezio is up there with master chief and, and Mario and Zelda is maybe probably one of the top 25 care, you know, beloved characters of all time, just because he is he's a fun character he's a he's a playboy he's you know the, the renaissance man like it, it's it's a very well done character and over the course of those three games there is a lot of nuance and growth and then you have what is known as like the kenway trilogy uh with assassin's creed 3 assassin's creed 4 black flag and assassin's creed rogue um where assassin's creed 3 is set in the revolutionary war and that's really where the series takes a, a pretty sharp dive off a cliff I remember I got that game for the uh, for the 360, and I only played like five hours of it just because I didn't like it very much because it I, the character wasn't Ezio. It was this little you know little Native American boy t teenager, um, and it just was so the contrast between him and Ezio was so massive that you couldn't like you didn't get connected to the character, and then they fixed that in Black Flag by being like okay, like, we can't have another Italian Renaissance man. What what else could we do? Oh, a pirate, duh. Like, that's the closest thing to a Renaissance man as possible is let's just play a pirate. <laughs> and then, like I said, Rogue having the sort of the, the opposite side of the coin of you playing a Templar and dealing with things from, from the other side, I just think is is really interesting. It's, it's pretty nuanced. And it's, uh, again, set in, like, northeastern United States and continues to build on the ship mechanics that made black flag such a fun game um then you get into unity and syndicate which are kind of set in like the 1800s um in france and england and again it's just really it's just i could see the ideas I, I never really played those games from what i've seen of it and what i've read of reviews they had ideas those ideas fell flat 
the character sucked. End of story. Uh, and then we get into the modern Assassin's Creed series, which when they decided to sort of reboot the series, um, they added a lot of RPG style mechanics to it. So if you're coming from the Ezio trilogy to, to modern Assassin's Creed, yeah, you're right. It, it really doesn't look very similar. And even I was joking about this with my brother last night, like it's not even like an Assassin game. Like, I, I distinctly remember the early games, Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed 2, like, the boss battles aren't, like, you can jump down there and go, you know, tete-a-tete, sword-to-sword with them, but the reality is, like, they're much more fun when you turn the final, you know, the boss battles into an assassination mini-game, and you're like, oh, well, if I do this, and then this, and then this, I get out completely unseen, and then you just get the Berserk Arrow, and you hit the boss with the Berserk Arrow, and you let his minions kill him, and ah, that's awesome. Whereas from what I've seen of Origins and Odyssey, I have not played them. I have watched, you know, playthroughs of them. And from Valhalla, is they're more in line with just like, just like a normal kind of action adventure game where you're just going to fight. You're, you, you know, it's, it has more in line, I would say, with a Skyrim uh, or, or, you know, God of War than it does those original Assassin's Creed games. Um which doesn't make them bad. I I think Valhalla, spoiler alert, Valhalla is a really good game. It's a really fun game. And uh, when you kind of understand that what you are playing is playing a Ubisoft open world game. And there is a lot of bloat. And the reality is this game shouldn't need to take 137 hours to beat the main story and the two DLCs. Um, when you look at like how long it takes to play, they really put like the main storyline at about 30 hours and they put each of the DLCs right around 20 hours. Um, but it's, it's hard to play these games when you're looking at a map and you're saying, okay, well I have to go to that point, but like, Hey, there's a little gold dot on the way. I might as well just grab that while I'm, you know, while I'm heading that way. And when you add enough of those moments together, that's really what like pushes the playtime. Uh, you know, so drastically long. Um, so it still has all like the collection stuff that the early games does, but like the combat is definitely pulled quite a bit away from like sneak up to someone, stab them in the back and then escape into more of a like, you're just going to stroll into the middle of this group of guys and you're just going to parry and block and dodge and stab them to death with a sword. So what you've described here is essentially saying that the way that the game plays now is what my fuck ups looked like when I was playing the original game. Like if I got surrounded <laughs> by a group of people and I needed to fight them all with swords, it meant that I had screwed up in my stealth somewhere along the line. And I was now facing the consequences of my actions. Now that's just the thing that you do. Is that, am I understanding? Yes. That correctly? Yes. I would say that that is the main combat of the game. And that's not to say like you can't do assassinations, like you can't stealth it. You can, but, like, there are moments in this game where you are storming a castle. I'm sorry, there's no way to stealthily storm a castle. It's just impossible. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have just a big, drawn-out, you know, uh, fight with you and your allies versus, you know, 50 enemies or so. Um, you, can't, you can't have it, you know, be assassination. Um, you can't stealth that. There are plenty of moments where you are given an option. Hey, do you want to go, you know, go in guns blazing or do you want to try and stealth it? And when I got to those options, I would try to do the stealthy route. 
Um, but the amount of tools you have at your disposal to deal with like a stealth route, it's not, it's not difficult. It's, it's really not, there isn't a difficulty level to try and be stealthy. As long as you're using your, like your, your Odin site, or I forget exactly what they call it, but the site mechanic that like shows you where the enemies are and which direction they're facing. And like, you just, you just have like half a brain you can stealth through the sections that allow you to stealth through pretty easily. And then if you screw up, it's like, well, I've spent the other 90% of this game fighting people with a sword or an axe or spear or whatever. Like, eh, what's, you know, oh, well, I, I can get through this. Where I remember Assassin's Creed 1, if you screwed up and you had to fight someone with a sword, it sucked. It was hard. It was difficult. And you might as well just reset from the last checkpoint and try to do it stealthily again. Right. It, I, it is one of those things where I, maybe I, I, I don't have the uh, background of the modern ones enough to make a comparison to some of these other games. Eduardo, I believe you've played some more of these Assassin's Creed games than I have. I haven't um, played a lot, have to played? be honest, but I have played some. And yeah, it brings me like a lot of memories of like Black Flag, what, what Walter was talking about. But one of my favorite aspects about Black Flag as an Assassin's Creed game is that I could just recommend it to anyone. Like, if you have never played an Assassin's Creed game, hey, you can play this very fun, very immersive pirate game. And it worked really well on its own. Does this game work as well on its own, Walter? What do you think? Yes, absolutely. So the the thing that drew me into this game back when it was announced was, one, uh, Gears of War, or not Gears of War, God of War was a PlayStation exclusive. I don't have a PlayStation. Uh, I wasn't going to buy a PlayStation 5 to play God of War. So all of a sudden, Assassin's Creed comes in as like, hey, uh, I heard you guys like being Vikings. You want to be a Viking? And I was like, I'm intrigued. Go on. And they're like, do you want to have a ship? And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm done. Like, I'm sold. <laughs> I, can, I can be a Viking. I get to travel around like medieval Europe um, or not medieval Europe, but medieval England. I have a ship that like, okay, it's not like Black Flag where you are like getting into ship combat and, and uh, you know, using cannons and like all that jazz. But it like traveling by boat in a video game and controlling a boat is just way more fun to me than like riding horseback. I, I don't know why, but when I had the opportunities and like had to move around the map, and it made sense to travel by the longship. I would travel by longship and then travel by horse. I will um, tell you like, exactly why. It's because you're traveling by ship, and that's intrinsically cooler, you know? That is true. And both Black Flag and this bring me back to memories of Sid Meier's Pirates and playing that back in like the late 2000s, which is another game that I, uh, I genuinely love. Um, what a but classic. Yeah. But yeah, this game absolutely... Again, talking to my brother last night, the this game is awesome. And Assassin Creed, Assassin's Creed games are at their best when they pretend they're not Assassin's Creed games. When basically they don't deal with any of the like connective plot tissue about like what's going on outside of the historical scenario that you're in. When they're not talking about Abstergo or like modern society or Desmond Miles or like any of that stuff. And they're just like, hey, let's just let's just let you be a Viking. Let's and just be Viking for a while. Yeah. 
And this game did a really, really, really good job of letting you just stay as a Viking the entire time. There were no, like, random cuts where all of a sudden they pulled you out of the machine that, you know, the the main modern character goes into to experience the memories of, of Eivor. There was, that only happened, like, once. And it was, like, really well-timed, and it made sense when it happened, and then it never happened again and the only other time you really played as the modern character were some of these like collectible moments in the world where it's like it's a it's a data anomaly and then you have to do a platforming mini game where it's just that the model is the modern person and you don't you need to use weapons or anything like that um and then you kept playing the main storyline kept playing the main storyline you get to the very end of the main storyline and it goes hey, I know you've just been experiencing this like 60 hour long story and you've really loved just being a Viking, um, but we need to take the next hour to do the like Assassin's Creed part of this game. So just put down your controller, let us play you some cutscenes, move your character around a little bit and we'll get through this together. And I really appreciate that because I don't care about the overarching Assassin's Creed narrative. Because it's just gotten weird. Like, spoiler for the for the pat for the like the tri- the modern trilogy. So I guess at some point the Earth basically was going to boil alive, and Desmond Miles back from like the old games at some point went to Atlantis and activated a force field that protected the Earth from like solar radiation or something and then now in the modern times of this like trilogy or at least in valhalla now the earth is still suffering like a climate meltdown and it's because the force field that desmond put up they like the machine is overheating and now that's overheating the earth so now you as the as this modern character layla have to go find the machine not in Atlantis, but the actual machine itself, and, like, turn it down and find the sweet spot between not letting the sun roast you alive and not letting this, like, ancient aliens-level, like, force field burn you alive. None of that makes any sense. I just want to be a Viking. I just, I, I, I was listening to every word you just said, and I, I, I don't even know where to begin. Um, Atlantis is wild. I I remember in the like old trilogy, the world was going to end because of Minerva, who was like legitimately existed in this world. Like there were there were gods and things involved. Like great great example that... actually. Here here here's actually the easiest way to define this. Chase, it's Marvel's Eternals. Got it. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Okay, well... Basically, it's, there's this race of ancient aliens that founded the Earth, came to Earth, whatever, and that all the gods are basically this ancient race of aliens, which is where the Eternals comparison comes in. Very and, important question. Yeah. Did these ancient aliens respect the plow? Because that really still gets under my gears with the turtles. It's oh, a good, no. it's a so, good invention, goddammit. Yeah, so so these aliens are gone by the time like humanity becomes like functioning as a society. Ah, okay. Interesting. But yeah, like some disaster happens and then humanity like appears on the planet. Or they were there at the beginning, like when they were Neanderthals and they like uh um 
you know, uh, uh, a 2001 A Space Odyssey them. Like the, 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 they're called the Isu. Like they 2001 Space Odyssey them, but they were too underdeveloped. So then they just like, I don't know, dude. I can't explain the overarching plot of Assassin's Creed. <laughs> I can just tell you it's, it's really fun to be a Viking. I, I'm glad they took the extra time, you know, to make them fit within the History Channel timeline, you know? It's canon now. They, they don't conflict at all. And second, <laughs> are we allowed to say now, like, Assassin's Assemble or something? I, I mean, that would be the next step for a Ubisoft game, right? Some sort of gotcha mechanic where you can pick your protagonist based on unlocks of some kind and kind of alternate your way through. I, I, I kind of expect something like that to come along the lines, given where they're at. But I, I guess... Ultimately, it sounds like you're able to be enough of a Viking for the majority of it uh, that the rest of that doesn't matter too much. So overall, Walter, does that mean, do you recommend this game to other people? So it's a loaded question to me because, yes, I would say if a like Viking setting, if a medieval United Kingdom setting appeals to you, this game has value and is fun and like the dlcs you have so everything is based in like england you know the main game is based in england and then the first dlc was wrath of the druids which is based in ireland and it started incorporating not just the north and like english kind of the norse mythology but with like english history uh then it starts to incorporate irish history and mythology and I, like, you fight Balog, who is this, like, Goliath Titan character in Irish mythology, um, if you defeat, like, the, the Order of Danu that are, are trying to take over Ireland, which is the, the druids that you are, uh, you know, dealing with the wrath of. And, like, that's really cool because it melds sort of the history and the struggles of Ireland uniting with the mythology and like that's what assassin's creed is pretty good at is pulling both you know the historical context and then mythos and fiction to create a well well-tamed story the second dlc is the siege of paris where spoiler alert you fight charles the fat like you legitimately okay. fight him in a like in a in a, a battle you fight him one-on-one -on -one and then make a decision and then they did this third little DLC that's not like a main DLC, but it's a crossover with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where it's called Isle of Sky. And it took me almost halfway through the DLC to realize we were in Scotland. <laughs> so well, like, that just seems like that you because Scottish accents are pretty signature. Kind of be hard, you would imagine, if they're this doing is going to sound terrible. Right? But it, the thing that finally tipped me off was like, wow, there's a lot of sheep here. And it's really hilly. Oh my god, I'm in Scotland. Like, oh shit, I'm in Scotland. I can't believe I didn't figure Isle of Sky. And like, you you interact with Cassandra, who is the protagonist of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is the one set in Greece and was released, uh, you know, two years prior. So like, yeah, if that's your jam, if, if, if being a Viking and like, you, you know, European history of that sort of medieval era and specifically England like get you you're gonna love this game it's gonna be a lot of fun um the like gameplay loop is like you 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 just kind of settle into it and you're just totally fine with like zoning out for a few hours and just beating up you know with a sword or with an axe or whatever there's a lot of different weapon styles that you can do like it's a very kind of like you can be what you want to be in that game 
the issue, the the issue that I do have, and I would like to point out, Cass, um, Cass Marshall from Polygon wrote an article um, a, a little while ago that was basically like, we don't, we no longer have, t- I no longer have time speaking, you know, speaking from their perspective for hundred plus hour experiences. Um, I get that. I kind of agree with that. And like, there's a reason why I put in 12 hours in the last two days to get this game done. It's not because I'm not having fun. It's not because I don't enjoy it. It's not because I don't want to go back in there and I want, don't want to go experience all the little mysteries and collect all the armor. It's just that it's really hard for that to be sitting in my, like my now playing list and then look at all these other games that I have and go like, right. But if I put 10 hours into Frostpunk, that's 10 hours that I didn't put into Assassin's Creed to finally like beat the game. So I just took the concerted effort and, and yeah, if you want to, if you want to just beat the Assassin's Creed storyline, the Viking storyline, it's going to take you like 50 hours of playthrough. And, you know, maybe for some people that's like, yeah, I can, I can bust that out in two weeks. Great. Like I said, I bought this game last June and I didn't start playing it until August. And now it's, you know, the beginning of February. It took me a while to beat it with just where my life is at and what I, you know, deem important to spend my time on. So if you've got the time, if you're willing to put the effort into it and just understanding, like, it, like the plot and the story... It's it's not like the the greatest story ever told, but it's fun. It's interesting. It's engaging. You have choices that you can make, and um, there's some really 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 funny moments. Like um, the there's a moment where one of the regions of England that you go to to pacify, it's that your blacksmith is trying to marry this this local woman, and you're just like helping him out, and you're there around Samhain, which is what we base Modern Halloween off of. And you go trick-or-treating. Eivor puts on a mask and goes trick-or-treating. And, like, that's a funny, cute moment. And then there are some, like, heart-wrenching moments because a lot of the discussion about it is, like, about family and about, like, society being a family. Not just, like, your blood brother or whoever, but, like, the community that you live in being a family. And there are some really, like, heart-wrenching moments and the the voice actor and mocap actor for the main character, Eivor, there are some moments where you're looking at their face in the cut screen and it is, it is heart wrenching, not just what's going on, but the emotion that's playing off that character. Um, so yeah, do I suggest it? Absolutely. But I'm, I'm completely warning you, like you're going to be in this game for a while. And then if you try to add the DLCs on, which are absolutely worthwhile to play, like it's, easily an 80 to a hundred hour experience to to really like finish the main story stuff that's always the rub for any ubisoft game for me nowadays i i just look at the mini maps that get screenshot on twitter and i just i feel exhausted just looking at it um and perhaps that's my ocd speaking the fact that i could not like streamline my way through and only do the story stuff because if i could i bet i'd have a good time with the game all the things that you're describing sound like they'd be a lot of fun but i my mini map would get too cluttered and i'd have to do something about that and then you would never see me again uh and i just i i i understand that rub hopefully those of you listening uh at home either you uh hear all of that and you feel very encouraged or you hear all of that and realize that that is not a game for you. And I think uh, 
I, I think it totally has to do with uh, how well you handle uh, all of that uh, potential bloat and, and whether you view it that way or, or happy to sink your time uh, into something a little bit more expansive. We're going to move on to Danganronpa V3 oh, killing Harmony. Eduardo, I'm going to let you start us off here because the folks at home have already heard me talk about the first two games. So with a, as much of an appreciation for being spoiler-free as one can get, can you give uh, the folks at home an idea of but your playing experience with those first two games and also perhaps a little bit of your experience having gotten DMs from me constantly over the course of the three games that we have uh, we have played in this trilogy? I mean, for me, Danganronpa, like, the Hope Speak arc, I will say, like, Danganronpa 1, Danganronpa, Super Danganronpa 2, my bad, uh, and Danganronpa 3, are, is one of the visual novel classics. Like, if you like visual novels, you have to at least try it. It has inspired a lot of fan games, material, extra, it has given us visual novel fans a lot of things to work out through the ages. And I think it has aged, like, surprisingly well overall. Like, sure, some things are like more questionable like here and there, but the concepts were so interesting. The characters are so well-written. And the overarching storyline works in a way in which the it creates its unique atmosphere. And I think like even if you play it like five to ten years from now, you will still find something unique about the Danganronpa Hope Spear arc. I just think it's that good. Like, it's not for everyone, definitely not for everyone. But if you like uh, visual novels, you have to destroy it because it's there's definitely something there, and it's one of my favorite. And, and when you say novels. the hopes pink up, sorry, uh, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's okay. Um, when we talk about the hopes peak arc, you are also referring to three, which is the anime, yes. which is not what we're talking about today. No, no, we're not talking about three today because. We're talking about V3 today, but final thoughts on the Hope Spear arc? I think it's great, and I think the characters are great. If you like good character writing, you're going to have a blast. Like, in any Danganronpa game, I would assume, including V3. And that's a good segue for us to move into the single most controversial game in the franchise, Danganronpa V3. Yep, <laughs> sure <laughs> is. Uh, this is going to be fun, because I... I went on a roller coaster with this game uh, to give an overview, by the way, for, for those of you who have been following at home. This game, uh, just like the last games, uh, you're trapped in a school of some sort, a lot closer to the first game in that regard. Um, told you can't escape uh, unless you graduate by killing one of your classmates without getting caught. This time uh, held down by the mono cubs, which are five kind of miniature monokumas, each a different color uh, with a different personality trait uh, that slowly but surely um, whittle themselves down over time. Uh, there are, you know, new minigames uh, introduced in this one, just to give a quick mechanics rundown. Uh, the Hangman's Gambit is actually better this time, unlike the improved Hangman's Gambit, which was worse. Uh, where your letters are now kind of colliding in the dark and you're having to put it together uh, one spot at a time. There is the debate scrum where you divide into two teams and you have to match the point that the other team is making in order to make a cohesive argument together. 
There's the mass panic debate, which is like three people speaking at once, and you've got to figure out who the right person is to focus on. Uh, psych taxi, which I, I'm just going to say, I think it's a worse logic dive. Like the graphics look better. You're a taxi driver going through like this kind of neon Nevada deserty location. Um, but ultimately it, the controls are a little bit janky, but the idea is still there. And then you have mind mine, which is just chipping away at blocks in order to reveal pictures and pick the right picture. Uh, and you uh, have solved the puzzle, so to speak. Uh, the big mechanic that I think Eduardo and I immediately disagreed on was the lie bullets, which are that now, in addition to agreeing with someone or refuting someone's point, you can tactically lie in order to move the case forward. I did not care for this, because I'm very much of the opinion that the truth should be able to push you towards the correct goal. But I believe, Edward, you felt differently about it. Yeah, I mean, I think the elephant in the room here is that we have to talk about, like, Be Free is a bit of a different story in the sense that it has different thematic elements to it. Uh, the Hoops Speak arc, the previous games, were all about hope versus despair. Danganronpa Be Free is more about truth versus lies. And when it's appropriate to lie, or when it's appropriate to hide the truth, or maybe uh, not say the whole truth which I, I know because you just mentioned that you're very much against, but sometimes <laughs> it is the best way to move the case forward and to make people accidentally fall into blunders. Because, like, people that generally the murderers in this case are relatively smart, so they make less mistakes, so you kind of have to trick them, at least a bit. Uh, I think it works well with the thematic elements of the game because of that. Uh, I very neutral on the mechanic as itself, because it's basically just an expansion of the previous uh, truth bullets. So it makes it a bit more complex, and I like it because like we've seen the truth bullet concept, so they're expanding a bit on that. I like that. Uh, but I think thematically it works very well. It certainly is a, a theme that is hammered in throughout, and personified by someone who is among the best characters in the game, one of your favorites in the whole series, which is Kokichi Oma, whose uh, his ultimate power is that he's the ultimate supreme leader. Uh, he's very much like he's he looks a lot more like a, a little kid than some of the other characters. Um, constantly threatens that uh, his organization secretly runs the world and is uh, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and how he lies constantly. Um, what did you love so much about Kokichi, Eduardo? First, I just love energetic characters, but secondly, I love the fact that he's the kind of character that he always has a plan, you know? He, he always has something moving, always got something going on. And if you like the characters like um, Light from Death Note, you know, it's kind of that kind of character, but in a non-serious way. He's always teaming, he's always looking for an angle. He's always there, like, looking to obstruct someone in some way or pranking you. And I don't know, I think like, I just really like his energy. And also he interacts with other characters really well, you know. they <laughs> Like, his interactions with uh, Iruma Mew are some of the most fun in the series. Just because they despise each other with a passion. <laughs> yes. And for the record, you're going to hear uh, Eduardo played the subbed version. So... Uh, he's going to have the last name, first name, 
when he's talking about characters. I'm going to say first name, last name, because I played the dub like a scrub. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, I really like the English voice actor for Monokuma is really what it comes down to. Um, and and that kind of led me down a path that once I was on, I did not find my way off. Uh, I, I guess I, I do want to just say that this game, before we get into any specific details about spoilers because i think there are some things in this game that we definitely just have to talk about it's the it's the thing that is the most controversial within the series it's the thing that people argue about i i I do want to say that this game is a really weird curve when it comes to the cases because the first case is awful i i hate it so much Uh, Because it's the kind of case that relies on you being lied to in how the story is presented. And not just in the way that, like, Eduardo, you expressed earlier, right? Like, lies to help further the plot are one thing. Lies of omission, when you supposedly should be in the mind of the character making certain choices, that's just lying, it's just it's it's withholding part of the puzzle in order to make things a twist. And I didn't care for that at all. Um, and then the next four cases are among the best cases in the whole series. Really well done. Really clever. The lots of fun twists to it. Um, I, I Without, I guess, getting into the the specific people who got murdered slash did the murder was there a particular case that you loved in this game eduardo um honestly i think i enjoyed all of them like i think the second case i think that's where the game really got going because it, it happens the same for me i did not care about the first episode almost at all i was like okay this is my least favorite game in the franchise like immediately just based on the first case but then like the second case kind of turned it around for me i was like wait there's actually a lot more to this game this game is has its really good elements as well so just because of that, I kind of really respect the second case. Um, yeah, that would be like the one I will talk about. I obviously like cases three, four, and I think case five, which we might disagree on. I really, I really, really enjoyed the angle, which they were, I like the concept of it more like I liked execution, but I think the concept was so fun. I just had a blast throughout the entire trio. Absolutely. I, I liked Case 5 a lot, actually. It, it wasn't necessarily, like, the most complex, but from a uh, from kind of evolving the uh, characters and the overall narrative, I thought it did a really great job. Um, and I, I like the twist in that one a lot. I also, the uh, reveal after the third case is fucking wild. Yeah. It is the wildest in a game filled with crazy characters throughout the revelation at the end of that one is the wildest shit i have ever heard in a mystery game and i i i just it's incredible you got it i i almost want to recommend the game for those four middle cases alone because there is a lot to love and there are a lot of characters to love which you know we we try uh walter usually um uh you know, is is the one uh, asking about my favorite. But since I get to kind of bounce off of somebody else here, I want to know who was 
your favorite character in, the, in this particular game outside of Kokichi, who we already talked God damn about. It. I was going to say uh, Kokichi. <laughs> 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 uh, I was going to say, like, first, before I go into that, I will say, like, one of the reasons why I think, like, Case 5 resonates so hard with me is because, like, you're so emotionally invested with the characters at the point that you're, like, mm-hmm. you kind of know the truth already, but you don't want to accept it, you know? Like, you're hope, secretly hoping that you're wrong about the whole case. And that, I think, makes it hit the hardest um for me at least um like that feeling of knowing the truth but not necessarily wanting to it to be true you know um but my second favorite ca- character will be probably kaito i just like how supportive he is like he's like a good bro you know i would love to have him as a, a friend uh he's like always there always trying to cheer you up uh, he's like a very chill dude I also like the uh, ultimate astronaut for those yes, keeping up at home. Exactly, uh, Momota Kaito. I think it's the the whole name. Uh, but yeah, we'll just call him Kaito. His first aesthetic is really cool, but second, he's just like he has an angle, but he's very open with his feelings, you know. And I think we can all appreciate that a bit. <laughs> which I, is absolutely. which one is I, your favorite character? I mean, I'm team maki roll all the way <laughs> maki harukawa i i understand that like she she's put in that position uh the narrative obviously is driving us towards her in a way that say the narrative in the second game drove us towards chiaki or the first one towards kyoko but i i love the the twist with her i i love that uh her talent is not the talent we are initially told which is uh, this is a very mild spoiler, uh, but her talent is the ultimate assassin, uh, despite being previously revealed as the ultimate child caregiver. Though the ultimate child caregiver isn't necessarily incorrect, because we find out that she grew up in an orphanage and had to take care of a lot of the other orphans there, and you know got drafted into this cult of assassins run by a shady church, um, because that's how the orphanage needed yeah. money and when we um, say that's, like that's... she got drafted that we're talking about how she volunteered to protect her other orphans you know like she was taking care of their child you know in a way yes absolutely um and and so i i did really like uh her uh and and everything we got there i i did overall i i did not like this cast as much as i liked the cast from the second game um, but the second game is one of the best games of all time. So, like, it's really hard to top. I would say I had a very similar curve as far as, like, on my tier list uh, to the first game. Uh, and the people that I liked, I really liked. Uh, just quick shout outs to uh, Karumi Tojo, uh, the ultimate maid, and uh, Ryoma, uh, Ryoma Hoshi, who is the ultimate tennis pro and ultimate prisoner because he killed the mafia with his tennis. It's very good. Also, um, like, if you have seen, like, Prince of Tennis, you're going to have a blast with that character. Like, I know, like, every single Danganronpa. In fact, I admired you guys so much for talking about Danganronpa 1 without making any JoJo references. I, I know I would have <laughs> not been able to do that. But since you have now, maybe we're going to have all the references. Um, <laughs> but no, like, if you like, like, the anime references in the first two games, like, this game dials it up to, like, 12 you know like not even 11 it's like so many anime references in this one and you're gonna have a well, blast 
did you watch JoJo? Because I'll be honest, I I not I I my anime knowledge is limited, and so I think there's a lot of references that just go over my head. Um, are you an anime guy? Uh, the last anime I watched outside of the Star Wars Visions series was Attack on Titan season one. Okay. Okay. Like, like, so. Well, to be fair, you, you don't... picked the right time to nope out of that series. <laughs> <laughs> to To be fair, you don't need to know the references, but they just make the series funny. You know, like I think the series is perfectly like fine without like even the references. It's just. Mm-hmm. Just there's so much like dedication into every Danganronpa game into putting like pop culture references and classic stories references like with executions as I have to have told you. A lot of them have like very like folk uh folklore origin and that's like so very cool, you know, how to see how everything is based on like a real world execution or a real world story or something like that, and then you put like anime nonsense into the mix and then you expected a serious visual novel but then it's no it's me dio and then you know like all those kind of stuff <laughs> it's a good mix of the super serious with the absurd absurdity that then evolves into its own tone right there's not a, another game that feels like danganronpa out exactly. there at least not to to my knowledge um if if there is one i i'm very down for people to recommend uh, more similar games to me in the long run because what I've discovered during this and you know kind of partially discovered through my time with the Ace Attorney Chronicles, a, a game that is incredibly good and the only reason I haven't talked about it yet on this show is because I played it too long before we did it. Um, I, we got to talk about the ending here. Oh. I, I I feel like we've, we've, we've I, talked I around. We should give like a, close thoughts on this and then like so people that don't want to get spoiled can just cut it off and then we can move on sure yeah if if you have any any final thoughts on on the game as a whole my final thoughts on the game are entirely colored by the ending okay so i i have but but by all means eduardo if you want to give some a little bit more before uh we tell those who don't want spoilers spoilers to come back next episode sure um i would say like danganronpa be free at its heart it's still a danganronpa game like i would not recommend it first like no way in the world like you have to play the others first and then if you really like them and really want something more i will really yeah play them eventually like don't play like right after the others have a break take a break don't be like chase take a break <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that like... may have made a, been a tactical error yeah yeah that, that may have been like don't play them all in a row i think that's just overkill i think the hope speak arc works very well on its own play that that's what i would recommend to everyone that enjoys visual novels and before it's like hey if you like the absurdity side of Rampa, then yeah jump in um also i would say like it's the least consistent of the main games. Like, when it's striking uh, hot, you know, it's really, really hot. It's like some scenes are like a 10, some scenes are like a 4, and you get a whole mix of that. Like, it's the least consistent, but when it's doing well, it has some of the best moments in the series. The user interface was improved so much. It's one of my favorite, favorite uh, graphic designing games, period. Like, everything's has its unique style which meshes really well and helps fortify the already pop aesthetic that Danganronpa has. So the soundtrack is as good as ever and the 
post-game content, I will say it's one of the best of the series. Uh, we were talking before this podcast that we don't have like a very high standard for the Danganronpa post-game content. It's like, if you want more, it's there. But I think the one I like the most of all Danganronpa games is this one. Uh, and also, like, if you like characters, there's a lot of character work here, both in the free time events and also in the love hotel scenes, which... Yeah, it's a bit more risky, but I honestly like the fact that they take this opportunity to have, like, a non-canon events, which have, like, canon implications, you know? Like, the events are not canon, but how you interact with the characters are, so you get more insight on the characters. I think that was very well done, and given, like, not very much fan service, but giving you more insight on that more risque way of the characters. Yeah, in general, fan service in this game is turned up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, though, funnily enough, I think maybe slightly less than two from a visual perspective, just because it's more implicit. Nikon less, in the second game, yeah. it's very unsubtle. Yeah, it's more this game, implicit. It's the dialogue. Less, less explicit. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and I will say, I, I do think um, the love sweet scenes are very fun to watch on YouTube, if only because our main protagonist is the most awkward motherfucker on the planet. And I'm the one saying that <laughs> like anyone who knows me and knows uh, how much dating is just not a thing I've, I've ever been particularly good at. I'm looking at that guy like, come on, man, uh, you can, you don't have to be like this. Um, I, I will also say there's apparently a board game mode in there. Yeah. I didn't play it. I know that uh, Summer Camp, the new one, is got a board game element as well that I think is at least a little bit similar, but also that one has a whole bunch of gotcha mechanics, so I, I have no interest in it overall. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I mostly agree with what Eduardo just said. Hope Speak, 100%, that trilogy, worth enjoying, uh, though with the anime... Uh, the despair arc is a lot better than the future. Arc. I agree Just on that. Hard throwing on that, that out there, um, but I can't recommend this game. And we're going to move into spoiler territory now because there's no way for me to explain why without getting into spoiler territory. So uh, I guess I I don't want to necessarily do plugs now, Walter. But it, do you want to? Real quick, I guess, tell the folks where they can find you uh, yeah. in case this is where they tap out. <laughs> yeah, you guys can uh, can find me at uh, C80s underscore LOL. Uh, make sure to give the uh, the narrative enhancements episode a listen. Uh, give me some feedback on that because I'm, you know, I really want to know whether people want some more of that kind of content and what we can improve on it. Um, because I know I, theoretically we will have AW uh, revolution here. Um, depending on when this is released, either it'll have already happened or it is going to happen and that'll be the next show. So I'd like love to get some feedback before we record that episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Eduardo, where can the nice people at home find you? Uh, you could probably like follow me on Twitter, uh, at StuCratB, but you can also like just link me up on Discord or something. I, I'm always up for shit posting and just talking about shit. So if you're more curious about my side of the story or just want to talk about any game whatsoever, uh, just yeah, send me a message. We'll talk. We'll be friends. All right. I can recommend Eduardo is the ultimate memer if he was in the Danganronpa universe. So always a good time. You can find me at Chase Wassner on Twitter. Uh, and and now, now it's time. I've, I've postponed time. it enough. 
Okay, so I fucking hate the ending. Very of this first game. thing I will I say is that the so ending is semi-open and still up for debate, but we're both going to approach it from the angle that everything that is said at the ending is true, like as written true. Well, because okay, yeah, so, so here's, the, here's thing. the thing: we're both going to approach it by that because that's what we both most believe in. Okay, I'm just going to point it out because it's the elephant <laughs> in the room that not every Danganronpa fan thinks it's the same way. Okay, just. Look, at, at some point, something has to be true because the twist of this game is fiction, is fiction, none fiction. None of it has been true. <laughs> none of it. The first two games, bullshit. They were video games in a series called Danganronpa, and our ultimate cosplayer here, who is actually the villain, uh, is able to transform into all of these characters because they're all made up. She can't transform into real characters that much as established earlier on. Though I suppose someone out there can argue, well, maybe she just cosplayed her way into looking like she got sick when she tried to act like a real person. But fuck it. Something has to be true here. Um, something has to be... We cannot engage in something if everything is a lie. Which is what this game tries to tell you. Every, every five minutes in what is a two and a half hour sequence in the ending is just them going, so this part is a lie and this thing is a lie. That thing that you're gripping to because of the lies, also a lie. Everything is a lie. And it's like, I get it. I fucking get it. Like it, like it's one of those endings where I, I, I see people, there are articles that, that call it one of the best endings of the year in which it came out. Because it's like, oh, you know, that kind of subverting of gamer expectations. And it's like, I don't know, maybe it's because we live in a post-Undertale universe. But my my understanding of endings and subverting and understanding of how people engage with a game, not a particularly new or nuanced take. And my roommate, who was half watching the entire time, absolutely saw this coming. We both saw the twist coming a mile away, and we and we groaned when we predicted it. Because we knew that it was going to be just, I guess, maybe at the time new for gamers, but something that in movies and television and whatever else we've seen for a long ass time. And it's just so goddamn repetitive and just beating you over the skull with it. And when it's not beating you over the skull with that, it's criticizing you for being invested in the game at all because the whole it's the only other thing it focuses on when it's not telling you how everything is a lie it's telling you that danganronpa can't die because the fans out there literal fans they bring televisions down and show like people's fucking twitter profiles it's like these literal fans won't let it die they just love danganronpa so much and as long as they love danganronpa we're going to get more Danganronpa games. And so you have to beat the game by not playing anymore. That's the only way to win. Is We're, we're full-on fucking war games here. The only way to win is not to play. And you have to let it die because these developers clearly did not want to make this game. Except for the fact that they totally did because it was very profitable and they knew that it would be, which is why it exists at all. Because if they really felt the way that they did, they didn't have to make the fucking game. No one was putting a gun to their head. They weren't required to do it. It's it's such an abdication of their own fucking responsibility to tell off fans that I'm sure were obnoxious at the time. Don't get me wrong. I've seen social media. I can only imagine at the height of its time. But 
fuck you, man. I'm just trying to play the game that I like and you're condemning me for it in a way that I'm just getting caught in the crossfire and it's not fun. There's nothing. Oh, man. Oh, God. You're into describing it. So I, I take much. back everything I said before this. I love the ending so fucking much, man. I just have a blast hearing about this. Like, man, like, here's the, here's the thing about the end. At the end of the day, if you take your media, like, super seriously, you're going to hate it. You're going to be 100% of Chase Camp. You're going to feel insulted. And it's going to... Don't get me wrong. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. It drags on longer than it should. I can absolutely consider that. But the meta narrative is, like, so fun. Like, at the end of the day, they're punching their own faces for 200 hours and a half for our entertainment and I can respect that so much like they're making fun of themselves and the fans and everyone uh, if you're willing to laugh at yourself because at the end of the day it's very messed up that we like a series about teenagers killing each other uh, if you're willing to laugh about that you're gonna have a blast with the ending because it's literally having fun at that <laughs> but that's like part of what makes the first game so great is that the idea of hope triumphing over despair i mean look i'll just straight up admit it right the world's a nightmare right we all know this things aren't going very well in the state of the world right now and so a game in which terrible things could be happening to other people but at the end of the day hope always wins that's a great thing to have i enjoyed that that was a, a theme that I could really appreciate and, and allow into my life and have a very good time with. And the game says, fuck you, because hope keeps this thing going and it needs to fucking die already. Why <laughs> won't you let it die, you pieces of like, garbage? And I just, I, I, I think it's like, it's, you sickos, you fucking sickos. <laughs> they, they insult the fans so much. And like, yeah, I, I, part I, if it wasn't, two and a half hours long it'd be kind of like i get it but it's so long it's yeah no I, I agree point. that it it's... doesn't evolve i agree that it's longer than it should don't get me wrong but like at the end of the day it's that if you're willing to laugh at yourself you're gonna have a blast if you're like because like at the end of the day yeah it is fucking <laughs> like but at the end of the day like here's the thing despite this like the epilogue it also ends on the classical dangerous note of like going into the unknown with hope that trend is still there at the end at the epilogue you know like, the characters, even yeah. after they have no idea if what experience was real or not, they still go out with a lot of hope, you know? That's still a prevalent theme of the ending. Well, the thing is, you don't get that ending unless you restart the game after thinking that you'd reach the ending because it bumps you back to the main menu before it shows you the epilogue. And so I didn't even see it the first time around because I said, fuck this. <laughs> this spent, I spent three hours trapped in your bullshit. I'm done. And I, I've never been more mad at a game. I, I, I'm sure that that has been so subtle throughout the last nine minutes of me ranting on the show. <laughs> but I really, this ending in Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of... And I was going... I was going as quickly as I could. Like, I wasn't, like, taking my time. I wanted to get through this, like, yeah. just because it was so... <sighs> I, I will say this, because I also talk about this with other friends that come from other backgrounds, okay? They haven't played Danganronpa specifically, but they have noticed this, that Americans tend to hate these meta-depreciating jokes. Like, when a series makes fun of itself and insults itself, like, it, it seems to me that Americans do not take it that well in general. But for other places in other cultures, that's fucking hilarious. And I'm going to take it the fucking hilarious way. <laughs> because if not, I, I, like, if not, I'm going to go insane, you know? Like, I kind of have to laugh at this joke. 
again, if it was a joke and I like we we talked about it throughout the entire game, right? Like I've been DMing yeah, because, you because all it's, three it's of criticizing these games. the serialization of content. That criticism is there still. And some of it is funny. Some of it works when it's the crux of your finale. When that's the whole, that's the ending note you want to leave on, that's so different than a few jokes that like, hey, you're in on the gag too, huh? Like, it's the, it's everything. Yeah, because then Gary has the, always the been a meta nightmare revolutionary thing. It's always been like poking fun at itself. Not, not only now they're making but like it's a been, huge thing. But the, but the first two games are at least honest to themselves, yeah. right? Like within the world in which they exist. There is truth that you can rely upon that characters all believe in and move forward within. I mean, and in this game, there isn't because it's by design telling you that no such thing can exist and fuck you for wanting. Yeah, but here's and the, here's the that's thing. That's a though. difference to me than just meta jokes. Here's it's the thing, though, like, thing. Why does it matter if the game tells us it's fiction? We already knew it was fiction. Like We already know it's a game called Danganronpa V3. We don't let it on Steam. We click play. We already know all of it is fake. But we engage with the characters anyway because we know it's fake and we like it because it's fake. Like The, the <sighs> game telling us it's fake doesn't change anything. It's like opening a theater presentation saying, hey, everyone, this is a theater presentation. It doesn't change anything. The characters, I... we still love the characters. We still love the trials. We still like everything. I don't know. There, I, I understand what you're saying. And if it was, again, a slice of the ending, then maybe. But it's the whole ending. And I do think that stories... Like, it, it, it's the Marvel thing, right? A lot of people give Marvel a lot of crap nowadays for their sense of humor because it's very tongue-in-cheek and there's always kind of a wink and nudge to the audience. And some people really like that, and some people don't. But at the end of the day, the films are still films that still exist within their own universe. I'm, like the t something has to be real for there to be an emotional truth. Why and though? This game, Why does something because... need to be real for it to be like characters? I still love the characters despite me knowing they're fake. It doesn't change anything. I, but it does though, because it's Why? not, because because them being true to themselves is what makes it matter. Them being true to the situation that they're in and overcoming it is what is engaging. And they do that if none of it is real within. But they do that within the elements of the fiction. I mean, yes, they do. I they overcome the trial while, while they still think it's real. So the conflict is real, even though the scenario is fake. I I just feel like if you compare it to the first two games, the conflict was real because the world was real, because the characters were real, because it all mattered, and we are able to suspend disbelief in us knowing that it is fiction, because we are able, and we can engage with it, therefore, on its own merits. This game says... Fuck your suspension of disbelief. Yes. You should never have had a suspension of disbelief in the first place. Like, it, it draws me out of the story because it's no longer about what they're engaged in. It's about the game telling me how I should 
it's a very, it's different. It's a different level of engagement that it asks of you. And, and to me, it, it very much kills any hope I had in recommending this game. I do not recommend Danganronpa V3. I, I think that the first two games are wonderful. I highly recommend people go check them out. Uh, I, if you, if you want to see the cases, cases two through five of this game are well presented. There are YouTube playthroughs that are very well done that are worth your time. Um, I, I can't, I can't, it, the game, the game does not want me to engage with it the way I want to engage with the game. So fine. I won't engage with it anymore. You got what you wanted, Danganronpa V3. I don't care anymore. I will let your series die. That's 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 where I I end up. Um, obviously, Eduardo, you felt very differently, and I am happy for you that it did not change anything about your way of engaging with it. Walter, do you have any thoughts having heard all of that? I I do have to ask, knowing me as someone who is not anime, not into JRPGs, like not into that kind of stuff, like give me like a one to two sentence sell of like how you would sell that game to someone like me. The the first two games or this one in particular? The series in general. Let's do the series in general. Oh, the series is like a uh, visual novel crime investigation and meta bullshit. If that sounds appealing I, to I, you, that's all Danganronpa is. Yes. I, I would say uh, do you want to solve really cool crimes with very eccentric characters uh, in a series of, of different and engaging ways with stakes that are absolutely fucking absurd. That that's my pitch. Yeah, honestly, I think we undersold a bit. Like the fact that the characters are very well written. Like it's one of my it's favorite parts. Really well done. Yeah, it's a character-driven series. Yeah, the first um, like the first like every car every game in reality has something out of notice. Like they talk about things like body image, self worth. Like the characters have very real conflicts um, going on, and that's very relatable in a lot of ways. Yeah. I uh gotcha. I I really liked the series heading into that last case. <laughs> I wouldn't be this mad if I wasn't invested. I recognize this. I I accept this. Um I really do love uh the first two games and I love those four cases. And uh I put the game in timeout for a couple weeks, but I did eventually go back and see some of the character stuff and and some of it was quite nice. Um, when the game, when, when it wants to engage with you in the way that the first two games engaged with you, it's quite good. Um, I just can't get over it and I never will. I, I will, I will die mad as the people on the internet, uh, always suggest that you do when you dislike a thing that they like. <laughs> to to um, be fair, we're not the first ones to have this conversation. You've been on the Danganronpa <laughs> subreddit. If you want to continue this conversation at home, folks, just go into Danganronpa uh, subreddit. We all agree. We all have the same opinion on the Danganronpa be free ending. No, the, no fights there at all. No arguments there at all. We're all a happy little family. Uh, no, but yeah, for me, like as I said, like the... The fact that the characters realize their struggle with fiction does not make them any less meaningless. Uh, sorry, any less meaningful for for me. Uh, for me, the fact that the characters 
are presented and engaged in a way, and they fight struggles, even if their struggles are later revealed to be like quote-unquote setups or not entirely true. For me, it doesn't diminish from the game at all. And the most important part is that it doesn't diminish from the franchise at all. Uh, I think that's at least. Like, even if you hate V3, at least V3, like, sunks its own ship, you know, it doesn't affect the, the rest of the franchise. So, that at least makes it better than other franchises when they sink their entire thing, so. I guess, I do think that it, I, I don't know, it, 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 I, it, I guess I get defensive of the first two games in the way that they're handled here, uh, which says again more about my level of investment and in how good those are than anything else. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, we've made our thoughts here yeah, clear. I promise clear. next time around, uh, no more Danganronpa. I will not be uh, oh, playing. But by the camp. way, if you're someone like Chase and likes like visual novel, mystery, investigating, but on a serious tone, like none of this V three bullshit, just self series. Play nine nine nine. That's excellent visual now. Chef's kiss. That's that is fair. And if you're anyone um, at home, I'm gonna make a plug whether you guys like it or not. Just play kind words. It's a game where you write kind letters to other people and you receive kind letters back. It's a very chill game and we all need a bit of kind words in this pandemic. Yeah, amen to that. On that, I think we have found common ground with which to end the episode. Eduardo, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure having you here. I hope everyone uh, at home uh, enjoyed this guest episode. We will be back two weeks from now to talk about two very different games. But until next time, goodbye, Internet. Goodbye, Internet. Love you all.